Warning, the following podcast may contain potential plot spoilers, but then again, it may not at all. Hello and welcome to Potential Spoilers, I'm Kieran and I'm joined by Maddie D. Hey Kieran. Brad Pitt defeats Bruce Lee. Brad Pitt defeats Bruce Lee. Brad Pitt does defeat Bruce Lee and the dog food is raccoon flavour. Yes. And I'm going to tell you a story. And bird flavour. And bird flavour. And I'm going to tell you a story. She was engaged to him. Then she flew over to the UK, made a film with him, and broke off her engagement with him, and married him. And then they moved to Los Angeles, and all three of them have been inseparable. And if you didn't want to know that, all of that, then you shouldn't be listening to the show because that is a spoiler. Or spoilers. Thanks for that, Steve McQueen. <laughs> I do look like him, right? Yeah, you look more like him than the guy that played him in <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <laughs> Nothing against that actor. Uh, he's great, but like, what an interesting look for Steve McQueen. Some people are like, he looks a lot like Steve McQueen. I'm like, how? Yeah, exactly. I was the same way. I'm like, if you squint and close your eyes and look in the other direction, he looks yeah, a bit kinda, like Steve kinda. McQueen. You've got the same hair. Now, anyway, welcome to the show, yes, everybody. Yes, welcome, welcome. If it wasn't obvious from the title of this episode and our discussion already, we're we're actually revisiting our previous predictions of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Finally. Which was Quentin Tarantino's latest joint. <laughs> and Brad Pitt's latest joint. Well, I'm sure he's done a movie in, in the, the movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't a joint. It was a regular acid dip cigarette. Just a cigar. Which neither of us predicted. So, obviously, what we do in these shows is we go back over each other's original predictions and we award each other points and essentially see who was closer to the actual film. So, essentially, the way that the points work is if we get something in the movie, if we predict something in the movie without any prior knowledge and it happens, it's worth two points, which is essentially the max amount of points that you can get in one hit. And then if we get something that we had some prior knowledge of, whether we saw it in the trailer, whether we read about it beforehand, that's only worth one point. And we have to get the context of what we predicted right in that circumstance to get one point. And if we got something sort of right, like if we were on the right track, but not exactly right, like the context was off or the one or two details was off, we only get half a point. Yeah. We like winners and we like losers. More, yeah, more to the point, right. we like winning over each other. And now something that Maddie D's really familiar with getting, if we get something completely wrong, it's not worth any points. Wow. I tease, I tease. Ooh, Usually it's me. Ready. Usually he Usually he wins. Usually he wipes the floor with me. Will that be the case this week? We'll, we'll find see. out. So, of course, it goes without saying. If you haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet and you really want to see it... And we would advise it because yeah. we both enjoyed it. Yes, yeah, not to give too much away early. But please go and see that movie before you listen to that episode. And we're not really going to be talking about the plot of the real movie in any detail. We're only going to be referring to what happened in the movie compared to what we predicted would happen in the movie. So... If anything, please listen to our original episode before listening to this one because we're just going to be referencing that more so than the actual movie. And we don't want you to be lost and confused. Yeah, that's right. You know, We want you to be in on the show. That's right, that's right. So once upon a time in Hollywood, I know that you were really excited to talk about this movie again. We certainly had a great experience re-watching the movie for a second time. <laughs> it, was a third, it was a third time for me. Yes. Manny D had the great idea when he rocked up. He's like, I remember they were mixing cocktails in the movie, so I think we should get into the spirit by mixing some cocktails ourselves. And then we decided to take it too far. Next thing you know, it's five o'clock in the morning. We finished the movie hours ago. <laughs> we're just still there talking shit about it. So I have this thing where if I see, and I think you're, you're similar as yeah, well. Yeah, I'm the same. Me and Karen will watch people. If we see alcohol, we want to drink it yeah, is basically what it boils down to. Particular alcohol. Like I remember when we watched The Irishman, we bought wine and we dipped our yeah, bread in the right. wine. And this was a movie that had cocktails in it. And I was like, I know, I know when I see them make cocktails, I'll want to, you know, make one and drink one. So I brought over ingredients to make old fashions because that's what I've been doing yeah. in my quarantine, been practicing mixing drinks. Well, the drinks in the movie were actually I know. Margaritas, were, were they, they? Were they whiskey sours or were they margaritas? Oh, they were whiskey sours, sorry. Mm. 
Anyway, I was like, we'll probably have one mixed drink. And yeah, then, that's right. And that was the plan. I bought some beers as well, and you had some beers, so yeah, I was like, right. we'll have some beers for the rest of the movie. Because that's standard movie practice for us. If we're watching it at home, we're drinking beers. Sometimes yeah. in the cinemas, if they give us beers, we'll drink them in the cinema <laughs> oh, too. <But> it's- <laughs> like that one time when we watched uh, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Yeah, that's drank, right. Drank too many beers yes. and needed to go to the bathroom. And it was a three and a half hour movie. <laughs> but didn't want to miss the best part of the uh, movie, the ending. No. We're like <laughs> struggling through. We're just sitting there wriggling and jiggling in the seats. <laughs> but yes, I remember when we originally watched Once Upon a time in Hollywood after the movie we were so desperate to have like a whiskey sour or a margarita that we like essentially went to a bar straight away (laughs) and mainly just to talk about the movie because there's actually a lot to unpack in the actual movie yeah we watch a lot of movies together and usually it's pretty much like we watch the movie we go okay cool we walk out but this was a movie that we watched and we're like oh my god it was also as as you'll probably remember from listening to the original episode it was a movie that we're really excited about and we finally got to see it on the screen because we actually weren't really that close I mean in some ways we were close but we weren't overall really that close we actually had a lot to discuss and a lot that we weren't expecting so I I always think that's a great experience yes and it was good to watch it in the cinema as well yes absolutely Uh, that was something that we can't enjoy currently (laughs) it was good to watch it again with a few old fashions because I think we finished off two six packs of beer and a whole bottle of bourbon yes (laughs) and by the end of it Oh, geez, what a mistake. Yeah, what a massive mistake. We, the next day, we were literally Rick Dalton from, from the movie. <laughs> yes. I think Matty D was dipping his head in ice and I yep. was uh, threatening myself in the mirror. It was a rough morning, but that's what we do for you guys. Yeah, that's, that's what right. we do for our audience. And we're here to talk about it again if we can remember the movie. <laughs> I want to see how many details Matty D forgot from, <laughs> from his two I, watchings. I kept saying to Kieran when we were watching the movie, I was like, remind me if I forget anything because it's possible I will. And I think that will lead us perfectly into talking about what we predicted originally yeah. and start awarding points now i think i went first with my prediction no it was you no, i went first see i've forgotten already i only listened to the episode this morning yeah so tell me because i remember i went into this plot with i'm never going to predict anything so i just had yeah. fun with it i think that speaks for itself and i was surprised uh when watching the movie that there was things here and there that i got right so i'm interested to know yeah. how i did overall and i know you're quite critical of me so yes. I'm expecting to get into a little bit of an argument, but we'll see how we go. Manny D definitely had a very vivid image in his head of what this movie would be. And I think he painted a very compelling picture. Thank how, you. How much of that actually translated over into the actual movie? I think he got a little bit excited because there's just <laughs> quite a few divulgent rabbit holes that appear through your plot and we'll explore all of them. Yeah. But then, yeah, as I said, maybe they work out in your benefit. Maybe they don't. Let's get into it right now. So you thought that the movie would start with a beautiful montage of the Beach Boys recording a song and congratulating each other while a shadowy Charles Manson listens back to the recording. I'm so glad you said that because I didn't say it was Charles Manson in the original no, episode. you so strongly implied. I hope that was obvious to everyone listening. Uh, and you said that the music was eventually drowned out by sirens, screaming and police radio, which is very, very vivid. There's a very nice image there, but it doesn't happen it doesn't at happen all in the all. movie. And in fact, nothing like it happens in the movie. So and can't give you any points. Manson himself only appears once. Yeah, that's right. In the whole movie. And basically we saw 90% of his on-screen appearance in the trailer. Yeah, exactly. So if you've seen him in the trailer you've seen him in the movie now this is where you got something right essentially straight away you said that the movie would be narrated by kurt russell which it absolutely was how crazy is that so you got two points there yeah insane he does narrate the movie you did such a good job you're like you're trying to work it out you're like could it be samuel jackson could it be (laughs) quentin tarantino no i'm gonna say it's and it was just process of elimination as well i was like well kurt russell has a good distinctive voice i guess i didn't even work kurt russell into my plot so you were doing better than me you didn't uh you said that through kurt russell's narration we'd be introduced to the glamorous world of Hollywood through another montage. I gave you half a point because we do have a brief montage of Sunset Boulevard towards the start of the movie, but it's certainly not narrated by Kurt Russell. 
And it's not really in the same detail that you thought it would be. You yeah, thought there'd be like actors on stage and young starlets lining up for auditions. Uh, L.A. Noir slash yes. Chinatown. Yes, exactly. A little inspiration there. Uh, you next thought that we'd be introduced to our lead, Rick Dalton, who's doing an intense Western scene. Now, that doesn't really happen in not the movie, really. but I gave you a point because we are introduced to Rick at the start of the movie. And technically, he's on the set of a Western. He's being interviewed on the set of Bounty Law, so... That's technically a Western. Uh, And he also does an intense Western scene later in the movie. So mind you, while it doesn't happen in his introduction, it does happen in the movie. So... I gave you two half points, which essentially equals one point. I love that Western scene as well. We had so much fun yes. re-watching that. Yes, we did. The episode of Lancer that he was on. Yes. Yeah. You then said that during the filming of the scene that Rick is swapped out with Cliff Booth, who does the fight scene for Rick. Now, that doesn't happen at all. No. Cliff actually does little to no stunt work at yeah, all throughout the whole movie. Yeah, he does I think the only stunt that we see him do is he drives a car over a bridge, or we just presume right. that that's him. He manages to parkour his way to the roof, Yeah, that's not in a film. So yeah, that's count. not any sort of paid stunt work. Uh, You thought that the main characters would be introduced with a freeze frame and a title with their name? I actually gave you a point for that because it does happen occasionally throughout the movie, but Rick and Cliff aren't introduced that way. You thought specifically Rick and Cliff would be introduced that way, but there's actually a whole bunch of other characters who are introduced in that way, and I think even the Playboy Mansion Mansion gets like a title as well. When we watched this in the cinema, you actually said, (laughs) you were like, oh my God, it's the Playboy Mansion, Matty D. Yeah, and then it flashed up on the screen. (laughs) The title for the Playboy Mansion flashed up as soon as I said it as well. I so excited. Several points in this movie, you got really excited. Yes, I I did. did. Your overall impression of the movie itself would be that the story of the film would follow three separate lives oh, in, the, in the Hollywood film industry. Now, I gave you half a point because it's technically true because Rick, Cliff and Sharon are three separate characters and we see the story through their eyes, but you thought it would be Rick, Sharon Tate yeah. and Squeaky From of all people. Who doesn't do anything. And yeah. also Sharon Tate does uh, very, very little. Very little, well. yeah. So you were technically right. So it does follow three people in the world of late 60s Hollywood. But yeah, it's not the people that you thought it would be. Uh, You said that most of the movie will involve our characters interacting with celebrities, having deep conversations, and reminiscing about the glory days. Now, I actually gave you two points because that is the majority of the movie. Yeah, I guess so. And you said that the world of Hollywood will be romanticised. And isn't it just? Isn't it just? I gave you a point for that because that's really, really obvious. And now at this point, I said, this is me jumping into your plot, I said that the soundtrack will be made up of spaghetti western music and period appropriate 60s music or possibly Italian exploitation music. Now, I actually gave you a point for that because you said I agree with that 100%. <laughs> And it was such a great claim on my behalf. I hope you gave me a point yes, for this as well. I'm glad or maybe you mentioned one or two. that. I gave you two points for that. Because, mind you, there was Ennio Morricone music in the movie, which I specifically said there would be. I mean, that's fairly obvious that that was going to be the case because Tarantino has been using Ennio Morricone music in his movies for the last 15, 20 years. Yeah. And it was actually from an Italian exploitation movie. So it was Ennio Morricone music from an Italian exploitation movie. So it's double whammy right there. And as well, we've got a ton of period-appropriate 60s music as well. Plus, we had other spaghetti western music in in the movie as also, well. So I was right on all fronts, 100%. Okay, thank you for saying that during my time with the plot. Yes. But also you, but you s- got a point for that because oh, you agreed with me. Because I agreed with you. Also, you said that spaghetti western style as well, like yes. camera pans, uh, camera shots, which a lot of these movies have anyway. But yeah, very takes a lot from the spaghetti western trope. Yeah, that's absolutely right. So I hope I got points for that as well. I think you said I did. but You yeah. did. Uh, you said that the three main stories will include Rick and Cliff, Sharon Tate and Squeaky From. I know we discussed this before, but you sort of revisited the idea again in your plot. And I gave you half a point for that because Sharon Tate isn't largely involved and Squeaky is a minor character. And so they they're added, in the movie. They're they, in the movie. So that was enough to give you half a point. They added scenes with Sharon Tate as well. Yeah, that's right. She was in the movie less. I think they had 
had a test screening where people were like, I really thought there was going to be more Margot Robbie in the movie. Yeah. And that was the major complaint. So he literally inserted scenes that he cut out from the initial cut of the movie. Uh, they really didn't add a whole lot to the movie, so I can understand why they were cut initially. But I kind of thought when she went to the cinema and saw herself on the big screen, it was kind of a cute I scene. Liked, I like that scene. We got to see her dirty feet, but we'll get to that in yeah, a sec. Yeah, of course. You said that Marvin Schwartz, we said Schwartz in the movie, but I can't believe in the action movie he was like, it's Schwartz, not Schwartz. <laughs> they actually made, uh, there's a line dedicated Schwarz. to that. Uh, you said that Marvin Schwartz is attempting to rejuvenate Rick's career and is trying to help him transition from television to the big screen since Rick is no longer relevant anymore. Now, that's very loosely correct, so I gave you a point for that, but that's very much in the promotional material. We knew that about Marvin's character going in. Yeah. Uh, you said that Rick is stuck in his ways and is a relic of the past. That's absolutely correct. I gave you two points for that, because remember at the point in the movie, he's just like, I just want to go back to doing what I did before. He just wants to make more Western TV shows, what he's used to doing. And basically, Marvin wants him to step out of his comfort zone, but Rick Dalton well, doesn't even like Spaghetti Westerns. He's like, have you watched one? They're awful. <laughs> Because Spaghetti Westerns, of course, in the late 60s were very much popular with the counterculture movement. So essentially the hippies, the Manson family would have been watching them, but not our mainstream audiences. Uh, you thought that Rick would refuse to use any other stuntman other than Cliff. And the two of them do new age cinema together for the thrill of it. Now, I didn't really know what you meant by new age cinema, but at that point, new age cinema referred to new Hollywood, which was sort of like the new movement of movies uh, at the time. So I think it started with Bonnie and Clyde, basically was the first one. But yeah, they really don't make anything like that. So yeah, I guess my thoughts were that they were kind of relics of the past. They were trying to move into yeah. an uncomfortable area. Yeah, well, I actually gave you half a point because, mind you, as we mentioned already, Cliff has been blacklisted from doing any stunt work, so he barely does any sort of cinema in the movie at all. But they do end up making New Age Italian movies together because the Spaghetti Western was very much a New Age movement in Italy. So you were technically right on that level. Uh, you said that things take a turn for the worse because Rick and Cliff continually fight with the actors and the directors of these New Age movies. Uh, <laughs> I gave you half a point for that because Cliff fights with Bruce Lee and gets thrown off the set. But Rick does what he's told whether he likes it or not. Yeah. I mean, Cliff, we can assume, has a rough relationship with everybody in Hollywood. Yeah. Well, the reason that he has that rough relationship is because everyone thinks that he murders his wife. Yeah. Which you think he did. Yeah. I'm surprised that you don't think that. I don't know. I'm not convinced. Now, this is just a general point here. Now, we actually thought that Marvin Schwarz would be Rick's agent, maybe both Rick and Cliff's agent, but he really isn't in this Doesn't movie. he become Yeah, he Rick's becomes agent? Rick's agent when he goes over to Italy, but you thought, or we both thought this actually, but we thought that he would be trying to get Rick roles throughout this movie and yeah. would be essentially like fed up with Rick, but yeah, he's really not that character at all. No, he's not angry. Yes. How weird for Pacino. Yes, he was playing completely against type, I suppose. We don't really see Rick's agent at all. No, we don't even know if he has one. Now, you said that Rick and Cliff will be the heart of the movie and they have a genuine friendship. I gave you a point for that because that's really obvious. I mean, yeah. But it's They're true. They're the movie. It's true. They are the movie. And I think the movie's better for it, essentially. We can get into it after we talk about our plots, but we should have the discussion whether whether what we were expecting versus what we actually saw disappointed us or what we saw was better in some way. But yeah, we'll get to that in the end. Uh, you said that Cliff starts a fight on set, maybe with Bruce Lee, maybe not. You didn't decide. And Rick joins in, causing the two to be blacklisted. I gave you a point because technically it's Cliff who gets blacklisted and mainly because he fights with Bruce Lee, but I didn't give you the full two points because you couldn't decide who he was fighting, even though <laughs> and we, and we you also knew that he was going to fight Bruce Lee in the movie, but you couldn't decide whether it was going to happen in the movie or not. Yeah. And also to be fair, it does happen in the trailer as well. Yes, that's we right. We at least get an idea that's right. that happens. Now you thought that Marvin would pull some strings and get them a role in a Western with Sharon Tate. Now, obviously that doesn't <laughs> happen at all. 
I was trying to connect these two characters, but apparently they don't really meet until right at the end. Yeah, well, apparently Sharon Tate knows who Rick Dalton is, and Rick Dalton certainly knows who Sharon Tate is, mm. but they seem to have nothing but respect for each other. But you really thought that, well, here we go right now, Sharon Tate isn't happy to be working with Rick, you said, since she sees him as being washed up. And it's actually the opposite, as we just discussed, because they actually both have a lot of respect for each other. Because uh, I don't think Rick's seen any of Sharon Tate's movies, but because she's his next-door neighbour and she's married to Roman Polanski, who just released Rosemary's Baby which was like the biggest movie of the previous year of course he's like well, if I can be friends with her I can maybe get into a Roman Polanski movie <laughs> she's put on that pedestal like quite literally too because she lives on a hill above his house yeah that's right that's right. There may be a reason for all this. I'll get to it in a little bit. But uh, you said that the movie would then focus on Sharon Tate and we'll see her life story from childhood to where she is now. I thought, no, no, we do not. I give you half a point because we do have a moment where we briefly focus on Sharon Tate, but it's nowhere near to the <laughs> magnitude that you or the rest of the world thought it that's, would be. Uh, that's very generous. That's very generous, Kieran. I probably wouldn't have given myself that point. You say, well, she's in the movie. We do focus on her at one stage. There's no other characters there interacting with her. So we, it's just her that we see. So that's close enough for me to award a point. Uh, you said that Jay Sebring plays a big role in her life. I actually gave you a point for that because he kind of does in the movie. Yeah. He's always there. He's always with her. But we know this from history. And I think we had the discussion in the original episode as well that they were best friends. So that's fairly obvious. Uh, you said that Sharon Tate is at the top of her career and uses her star power to get her way. So she's essentially pushing people around and being a prima donna <laughs> in the actual is, movie. I guess this is where my own knowledge of the history and my lack of research really shows. Because yes, because you knew nothing about Sharon Tate no, in real life. No, so I assume she was a big actress apparently no, she wasn't she wasn't this is her break it's funny that you actually thought that because in the actual movie she doesn't even get recognized by the staff at the movie theater where she's going to watch her own <laughs> no, movie no, yeah. they make her stand next to the poster when they take a photo because they're like oh that way people will know who you are yeah so it's almost the exact opposite well, look, to what you predicted. Didn't cheat? No, you didn't. Can't accuse me of that this week. Now, you said that Margot Robbie will have the big bare feet scene in the movie. I gave you two points for that because <laughs> she does. And as I said before, we get to see her dirty, dirty feet in the movie cinema, which really upset me. Now, I already don't have a foot thing. That already grosses me out. But dirty feet, it really grosses me out. Yeah. So I can't believe Tarantino's graduated from just having a foot fetish to having a <laughs> now it has dirty, to be dirty feet. Yeah. Oh, awful. There awful. A, there was a lot of feet in A this lot of movie. dirty feet. I don't think we saw a clean foot in the entire film. Yeah. Because we saw a lot of hippie feet. The hippies, yeah. Ugh. They Ugh. never wore shoes. No, they did not. Or any sort of underwear. But anyway. You said that then we'd focus on the story of Squeaky From, who's an inspiring actress. Of course, that's not true at all. She barely appears in the movie. Well, she was originally, right? No. No, never. Oh, oh you mean in real life? Yeah. Uh, you, I thought you were saying, was she originally in the movie more? I mean, definitely not. No, but no, she no, was no. an aspiring actress. I believe you covered it in your plot. You basically covered her real life story. But you said that she'd go to a party. She'd get involved with drugs. <laughs> she'd essentially have like a failure of a movie career. No. But she'd get involved with Charles Manson, who would... Uh, well, essentially what you said was that you painted her to be like a real sympathetic character. She was even against the whole Helter Skelter plot of Charles Manson's. But in the actual movie, she's almost the opposite. She's, she's a real way villain. Sinister. She's a very much a villain. You probably thought that she was going to be a murderer. Now, interestingly enough, this is also where you talk about George Spahn and the Spahn Ranch, but you kept referring to George Spahn as a ranch hand, even yeah. though he owns the ranch. He's not a ranch hand. And I told you, I told you, he owns the ranch, Matty D. And he's just like, oh, yeah, the ranch hand will be there. The ranch <laughs> hand, George Spahn, the ranch hand. Well, I mean, he owns the ranch. shut up about the ranch hand. He owns the ranch. So he's, he's not a ranch hand. The ranch hand. He's not the ranch hand. A ranch hand is someone who works on a ranch. Yeah. But he's not the ranch hand. He's owning the ranch. But he owns the ranch. So someone has to work on the ranch. But he wouldn't. He, so he owns it. So until the Manson family came here, he would have been the ranch If you're hand. a factory owner... <laughs> 
And then one day you're just like, oh, okay, let me step in and show the workers how yeah. to work in a factory. But that doesn't turn you into a factory worker. Yeah, of course it You're doesn't. still a factory owner. <laughs> you wear different hats. <laughs> oh, dear, Matty D. Maybe I should deduct a point for that. No, <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Now, you said that George is letting the Manson family stay on his ranch in exchange for sexual favours. And I gave you a point for that because that's very much the case. And I that's think the that's case in real obvious. life. We sort of thought that the Manson family would be exploiting him and he'd be appreciating the attention from the women. But in the actual movie, he seems to think that he and Squeaky are very much in love. Oh, is that the vibe you got? Yeah. Well, oh. he talked very affectionately about Squeaky and he's just like, oh, you know, I really like her. I don't want to upset her. But she obviously doesn't feel the same way about him. She's very much doing it as an obligation. But yeah, he's under the impression that they're in love. Oh, I kind of got the feeling that she was manipulating him. She's manipulating him by thinking that they're in love. Right. So she probably talks sweet to him while they watch, what is it? Do they watch Bonanza? FBI? FBI, or? yeah, that's it. You then said that we returned to Rick and Sharon on the set of the big budget Western that they're working on. I gave you half a point because at this point in the movie, Rick is doing an episode of Lancer, though that probably isn't big budget, but the way that no. Tarantino does it, it makes it look big budget. Uh, you said, this is very interesting, you said that Rick and Cliff would, no, <laughs> that's not it at all. You said that Sharon and Cliff would have an affair and Cliff ends up being the father of Sharon Tate's child rather than Roman Polanski. Look, uh, sometimes we take risks and sometimes those risks, Fair risks enough. don't sometimes pay those off. Sometimes those risks. Sometimes those risks don't pay off. Rick Dalton. Sometimes those risks don't pay off. Yeah, that's right. Well, I think uh, it's good. I think it's just notable <laughs> that you made that effort. But yeah, of course it didn't happen in the movie. You thought that all of the main characters would have a big moment during the movie where they're proud of their work. Now, I actually gave you a point for that. Because well, that does happen. If you think about it, Rick is proud of his work on Lancer. He ends up doing a really good job. And Sharon is proud to see herself on the big screen when she's watching The Wrecking Crew. So you're on the right track there. Now, you said that Rick wants to retire and move to Italy while Cliff wants to stay in LA with Sharon. Now, I gave you half a point <laughs> because Rick does move to Italy. But of course, he goes. Yeah, he, he doesn't retire Cliff. there. But he does find a wife there. He takes Cliff with him. He has a successful career there. You said that that night Cliff visits Sharon at her house and it's the same night that the Manson family attacks. Now, I actually gave you half a point because Cliff doesn't visit Sharon in her house, but they do end up going to Rick and Cliff's house. Well, it's Rick's house. Cliff is just visiting on the same night that the Manson family murders take place. Of course, they end up at the wrong house, though. Now, here we go. Here we go. You said that Cliff, Sharon and Rick fight back against the Manson family and end up killing the attackers, including Squeaky, who's there for some reason. Now, I gave you two points for that because wow, hey? that's probably as close as you could get to actually what happened in the movie. How crazy is it that I called that? Now, I just want to point out that Sharon Tate and Squeaky weren't involved at no. all. So minus them, if you take everything else into account, though, you're exactly right. Yeah. Oh, and Sharon Tate does survive. You said that she survived. So I think that's worth the full two points. Uh, you said that they will take the fight to the Spahn Ranch and get, <laughs> in order to get revenge These on Charles Manson. These are all my plots. My, all I'm, my not plots like, at, I'm not laughing at this plot point because I did the same thing yeah, in my I know, plot. I know. I was like, how can I, how can I organize it to be a big shootout? Yes. Uh, you said that Rick is shot during the gunfight and dies and Cliff and Sharon have a Mexican standoff with Charles Manson. I'm not quite sure how you have a Mexican standoff with two people pointing guns at the one person. Yeah. <laughs> you know. As long as you don't think about it. Maybe he's holding two guns. <laughs> And your major thought was that Sharon Tate will kill Charles Manson, of course. No I thought that because be that cool. doesn't happen. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah, of um, course. Cliff does get injured, though. It's not Rick. Yeah, that's true. So. That's true. But it's not close enough to give you any points for uh, it, yeah, though. Really? Okay. All right. Completely different people. You said that Sharon and Cliff are the only survivors of the shootout, and Cliff is somehow a time traveler because <laughs> suddenly he has a car from the 70s, even though it's the 60s. <laughs> I saw that because it's 1969. Yes. And he's cool 70s car. <laughs> yes. It was well, a- you know, it was, it, was, um, it was a car that hasn't been released yet. Okay. <laughs> And how did he get that? Uh, you know, pull some favours, you know. 
Right. So it's right at the end of Bruce, 1969. Bruce Lee, Bruce Lee bought him the car just like, yeah. hey, they haven't released this model yet. Just, just to, After so he that threw we, him into the car, he just, bought him it. Just so there's no bad blood, here's this 1970s car for there you. There we go. Uh, now, it was at this point in your plot that I called the song that would be at the climax of the movie, but we'll get into that when we talk about my prediction. Uh, and at this point in your plot as well, Roman Polanski dies <laughs> for some reason. You just have to keep patting yourself like, on the back. He's like, he died in real life, didn't he? And I was mm. like, no, he's still alive to this day. Yeah. <laughs> to I this day, he's still Life. I think it's pretty evident that I didn't know a lot about his yeah. personal life. And you said, oh, I, I don't think he's a bad guy. I don't know why I'm killing him off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, turns out. And Matty D, he is a bad guy. Turns out he is. Yeah, I had no idea. Now, the whole reason that Roman Polanski's whole like sexual abuse or anything really negative about him doesn't appear in this movie is because, because he was alive, they had to clear it with him before the movie could be released. Yep. So, of course, they had to have a positive representation of Sharon Tate as well as. So, does that mean Roman I get Polanski a point himself? because he's not portrayed as a bad guy? No, you don't get a point. Technically, technically, not that's not what you were trying to say. You were trying to say that he dies. Yeah, and that you were trying to work out why he dies. Yeah. Well, you know, it just clears up. So, so that Cliff and uh, and uh, Sharon take yeah, you off say that, the sunset. Yeah, that's exactly it. You say the last point you say is Sharon and Cliff drive off into the sunset. They yeah. don't need to say anything. Well, she's pregnant. Yeah, yeah, there you go. They go off to have their child together. And so if you tally up all your points, you get a total of, you're going to be disappointed, 23.5 points. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Give me some credit. I called the I gave you plenty pretty, of credit. pretty close. So I'll take it. I'll take so it. So overall, you weren't really that close to the movie, but you were surprisingly close in a lot of details. So I think that's definitely worth a lot of credit. Look, I didn't think I'd get anything right. So yeah. the fact that I got some. Yeah. We both went in go. saying we're not going to get anything right and we're not confident. So the and, fact that, yeah, um, we were even close. I thought my plot was a little ridiculous. So to see that yeah. it got kind of close-ish to the mark surprises me. Yeah, it certainly surprised, surprised me, me when I watched it. Well... Let's talk about you. Let's <laughs> yes. talk about you. Let's for talk a about change. my plot instead. Let's talk about your plot. So, just want to say off your comments here that I gave you two points just straight off the start because you did just because it's me and I'm awesome. Yeah, the soundtrack. Yeah, uh, and you predicted where it happens right at the end, and you did that through my plot. So, two points. Should we discuss that more? Should we elaborate more? That. Yeah, sure. So, obviously, we discussed it before in when we were discussing your plot that I essentially named artists who would appear in the soundtrack, including Ennio Morricone. Yep. Uh, but right at the end of your plot, I said during the big finale, they'll play the, I think I said 1968 version of, is it Vanilla Fudge? Yeah, it's Vanilla Fudge is the name of the band. And they have the song Keep Me Hanging On, which is a cover, Keep I think, of The Supremes. Hanging on. And I think Kim Wilde did a cover of it in the 80s that most yeah. people will be familiar with. But I even sang a few bars. <laughs> but that was the song that they used in the climax of the actual movie. Yeah, so in the, in the without intending to, just off the top of my head, I called yes. a major song. And did I not say... You were so excited in the movie cinema. Did I not say in my plot that I'm never going to predict any yes. songs that he'll use? So yeah. there you go. So yeah, because you said that you wouldn't predict the soundtrack. You yeah. lose two points. Because you were wrong. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Now, nah, two points for you. Very well done. I think you said it was going to happen at the end of the movie, but it happened it during did the happen fight at the scene. end of the movie. Happened during the fight scene, but yeah, yeah you called the exact uh, the exact song there, which is crazy. Yeah, I know. Which is crazy. In the cinema, I was so excited. I was basically leaping through the aisles. I was yeah, so excited. I think you like you caught air, like you were off your yes. chair, just like oh my god. Uh, you say that this whole film is going to take place in 1969 in Hollywood, Los Angeles, California. I give yep. you a point for that because we know this already, yes. but, you know, you said it. so, And it will have three focal stories, Cliff, Rick, and Sharon Tate, as well as the Manson family. So you linked uh, Rick and Cliff together. Yep. Give you two points there, because I think, I think as we discussed with my plot... In a very loose way, I sort of did the same thing that you did, yeah. but in a different way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it does kind of happen, because we see... 
portions of Sharon Tate's life and we see portions of what the Manson family are doing, but it's yes. it's very much dominated by the Rick and Cliff storyline. Yes. But yep, two points for that. And you said the overall style will be similar to Inglorious Bastards, but more so Once Upon a Time in the West slash America, which I give you two points for because that's pretty much pretty accurate to yeah. the style of the movie. Yeah, there you go. And I think we talked about the spaghetti Western flair and the music and the year yeah, and the Morricone soundtrack, so it all kind of fits in there. There was only one Morricone track in the whole movie, by the way. But like the style was very Yes, of course. Very much that way. The music in this movie was amazing, by the way. Yeah, it's a great um, soundtrack to listen to. I really liked what he did there, but he is always good with the music. So we open with a TV, this is in your plot, and in the movie actually. Yeah. A TV presenter. And that was Alan uh, Kincaid. Kincaid, who it was there the interviewer yep. uh, interviewing the cast of Bounty Law so it's actor Rick Dalton and his stuntman Cliff Booth which explains their backstories and history together which I give you a point for and yeah. you said well, that it was, was in the trailer it was in the trailer yeah you said it was going to be in black and white which it is Yeah. Um, so I give you a point for it it was in the trailer you called it exactly it was the start of the movie and then we're introduced to 60s Hollywood with a groovy music montage and while the opening credits play over the top we'll get to see movies being made I think I said the exact yeah, same did. thing premieres and movie cinemas 60s dance club which sets up the stereotypes, the setting, and the overall nostalgia. Of now, the 60s. Of the 60s, that's right. Now, it doesn't really start like that, but there's enough elements there to give yeah. you two points. Well, when they're driving, there's that montage. Mm, exactly. Which happens right at the start of the exactly. movie. Exactly. So after got, the Alan yeah, Kincaid interview. Yeah, so you get two points for that. And also, I gave you two points because the whole movie is this yes. 60s uh, Well, we do see a premiere at a porn theatre. Oh, yeah, we do too. Yeah. Which, by the way, is the theatre that Tarantino owns in real life. That's yes. his cinema, that his personal one. <laughs> he just likes to plug that. Yeah. By the way, we're going to be showing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in this cinema. Yeah, they did. Um, I bet they did. So around this point, we'll meet the Manson family who uh, arrived dramatically in George's ranch, the ranch hand himself. Uh, <laughs> George Barnes ranch, yeah. That's right. In the family, you address that we have Charles Manson, we have Tex Watson. Good luck with all of We have those. Patricia, we have Susan. I'm not pronouncing her yep. last name. At- Susan Atkins, yep. uh, Catherine Snare, and Squeaky From. Which, by the way, those two women and Tex were the ones who did the killing in the mansion mm. at the end of the movie. So which one was, hey man, we got to kill the guys that taught us to kill, well, I man. Think that might have been Susan Atkins. I could be wrong. Wild idea, man. So yeah, I gave you two points for that because we see all those characters there. A little bit more from Tex and Squeaky than the others, but they're definitely there yeah. as well. Well, they're major players at the end of the movie. Definitely. I just thought they'd be introduced more at the start of the movie. <laughs> Played by Uma Thurman's daughter. Yeah, she wasn't one of those characters listed there, but yeah, it was Uma Thurman's daughter. Maya Hawke is her name. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she appeared in the movie. Yes. And I, th- I like this, by the way, because you said they're going to be introduced in a style like villains from a spaghetti western. Yeah, movie. that's right. Now they're going to come in in slow motion. There is that scene, which is yeah, technically pretty much like you could pull it out from Once Upon a Time in the West. Yeah, um, where the camera's like panning across the yeah. spawn ranch, and you see them like standing ominously outside the buildings. Yeah. So I gave you two points for that. Oh, because, thank you. Very kind. Uh, I mean, it doesn't happen in the introduction, but it does happen. It's how the Manson family are introduced, though. So there you go. True, because it is the first time and well the Manson family we see them doing this creepy they're song. singing they're singing a Charles um, Manson song uh, while dumpster diving like by the way when we watch this movie and speaking to people and also just vibing the audience in the cinema no one knew that this was the direction where the movie no. would go so everyone's like what what's going on with these creepy kids like what's going on here and when the whole thing went down I think a lot of people were shocked yes they were I mean, we probably looked a little bit too much do you remember there it? was someone screaming at the end of the <laughs> movie someone <laughs> screamed when they're like there was like a violent scene at the end of the yeah. movie someone in our audience literally screamed 
screamed. Well, this movie doesn't have a lot of violence until right at yeah, the that's end, right. and it's and it's pretty intense. I mean that that scene with the fireplace. I was like, yeah. I remember when it was coming up and we were watching it. I was like, oh jeez, this one's hard. Okay, so you you go into George Spahn and you say he's blind. And at this point, you give a history about the Manson family coming into his ranch. So he's at the start apprehensive, but then when he realizes he gets a little bit of attention from the ladies. Yeah, he gets a few kisses. A little bit of <laughs> kisses, a few more than kisses. Yes. He's like, oh, well, you know what? You can stay here. Uh, yeah. yeah. So he'll tolerate the Manson family taking over his ranch. I give you two points. We don't see that, but it's implied. Yeah. And I also wanted to say that we won't see any of the sexual pleasures that George is getting, but yeah, it'll right. be it'll heavily be implied. Implicit. Yeah. yeah. You also said squid. Squeaky will not play a huge part. She'll just be there. Yeah, which, that's right. There you go. <laughs> there you points. go. She that's hundred percent correct. You said at this point there'll be typical scenes. I think you, this was a blanket statement. Typical scenes of clever dialogue and explanations, which yeah, that's is right. littered that's, through the movie. Isn't that standard for Tarantino? That's right. Now you go into Sharon Tate. So we meet Sharon Tate, who is th- at this point is a rising star. Well done. She yep. is a rising star, not already um, established. Established. Who's married to Roman Polanski? And you said Polanski is currently working in a film in Europe, so he's not actually present in LA, which isn't correct. We do yeah. see him. We do but see he does him in, leave to go to Europe. He's uh, Austin Powers. Get yes, up. he does but, leave to go to. Europe exactly. in the second half exactly, of the movie. Exactly, exactly. He does go to... Which I thought was really clever for you because it was a way to write him out of the movie without, yeah, that's right. without you know doing it deliberately. But he's there. He doesn't do a lot. And then he goes over to Europe. This is in the actual movie, yeah. And disappears. So two points there. I like this, by the way. You said that Sharon's working on the set of Wrecking Crew, yep. which is a spy movie with uh, Dean Martin. Unfortunately, you thought Dean Martin would be cast in yes. this movie. He wasn't. But yeah, we, we get... Well, uh, we don't see the set of the Wrecking Crew. Well, we see her training with Bruce Lee briefly yeah. for the Wrecking crew but yeah all we see of the wrecking crew is her going to the not the premiere but just going to see it in the cinemas yeah so she is she did work on that on that movie you also go into bruce lee as the guy that does the choreography yeah, for it that's right which i can't believe we actually saw that in the movie well we i can believe it, it because we i knew what was going to happen yeah no he was in the movie and we do see that scene you also said that we would see roman polanski looking like a creep staring at a younger woman yes. that is never not a younger woman a child a child next yeah. to a pool next i think i pool. said so this is never addressed in the movie movie and I think we know why because yeah. they wouldn't be allowed to do it. Yeah, they didn't even go that far in the actual movie. Nope. They didn't even suggest at all that he would be nope. a lech. I, I don't think they could. Like I said, they had to sort of tiptoe around that because Polanski had to approve the movie. Yeah. So Cliff is working on a film as Dean Martin in his stunt double. So yep. he's a little bit- On he's the wrecking crew. flown the Rick Nest, essentially. He's yes. doing his own thing. And he's on the wrecking crew. That's right. He's um, not. No, no. He doesn't work on the wrecking crew at no, all. No, I know. I know. But in your plot, he does. He's working on the wrecking crew. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. In, in the actual movie, he's working on- What was that superhero movie with Bruce Lee? It was The Green Hornet. Was uh, it The Green yeah, Hornet? Yeah. They're, they're on the set of The Green Hornet. That's right. Oh, it was. Yeah. yeah you're right. Um, yeah, yeah. It wasn't a movie. That was a TV show, by the TV way. TV show. Yeah, you're Right, sorry. Uh, was a movie later, but we'll yeah, it was. Oh, about yeah. <laughs> forgot about that. Uh, yeah, so he's on the set of the Green Hornet. Now we do see this in the movie. You thought it was the Wrecking Crew. Yeah, and this is where the big fight between uh, Bruce Lee and Cliff happened. You said a few interesting things here. You said yeah. they'll butt heads and it'll start a start a fight for real. You thought that the fight may come out of a verbal jab or that you know one person will say something to the other, but you said that Cliff will fight dirty, whereas Bruce will be like martial arts expert. Yeah. So like I think I said Indiana Jones it a little bit. And I thought this was really kind of cool because you said that uh, Bruce Lee isn't actually real tough. You were playing with this idea that he was a fake tough guy, yeah. which you know, turns out he kind of was. I mean, there's a certain bit of- In the a, movie, that is. Yeah. In the movie, 
I, we got to stress in the movie because yeah. this was weirdly, very controversial. Weirdly, the most controversial thing in the movie, aside from Margot Robbie's screen time, uh, was the portrayal of Bruce, Bruce Lee. Lee. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Bruce that's Lee what, fans were not happy. That's what everyone took their pitchforks off. So in the universe of the movie, uh, Bruce Lee is a. I guess you could kind of interpret him as kind of a. He talks a lot of shit. Yeah, <laughs> he's bragging about all these tournaments and how he won the, all these tournaments, and we yeah. know in real life that he never fought in any tournaments. So um, Cliff just knows he's full of shit. Now I'm, then, a, I'm a fan of Bruce Lee, so there's no hate on him, but. Yeah, in this movie, we never really see the outcome of the fight because it only goes two rounds. Yeah, that's uh, right. uh, People were unhappy with that portrayal anyway. I like this actor. Bruce Bruce Lee Lee. gets thrown against a car, so I think we can presume. And it's basically through Cliff. Is he fighting dirty, though? He isn't really fighting Uh, dirty, but he basically learns Bruce Lee's move and knows how to counter it. Yeah. So I'll give you one point because we see it in the trailer, and then I'll give you two points just for suggesting that he is... Bruce Lee's full of shit? Yes. In the movie. In the movie. In the the world of the movie. We gotta stay in the movie. Come on, guys, it's Tarantino. We gotta, yeah. you know, he, he has the Manson family getting killed. We gotta, like, let go of, you know, yes, that's right. the realities here. So, with Sharon Tate, we'll also meet Jay, uh, what's his last name? Sebring. Jay? Sebring, you're right. Now, you you really went into yeah, a lot of detail with this guy that it. never went in. So, I'll just sort of cliff notes yeah. this. It, he's gonna be cliff the friend. Cliff Booth notes this, yep. Cliff Booth notes it. Yeah. He's gonna be in love with Sharon, but he's in the friend zone. That's implied. That's implied I mean, in the movie. Our good friend Steve McQueen tells us this. Yes, that's right. But never really really goes into any other detail you thought this was going to be a big point of the movie yeah where he prof- i liked when you said he professes his love to her but anyway uh but you yeah. also said we find out she's pregnant here now that doesn't come in discussion but it's fairly obvious that she's yes. pregnant yes and also our good friend kurt russell tells us so at this point cliff will meet rick in a bar don't want to give you too many points for that because that happens all the time yes <laughs> They're always in a bar. <laughs> we were like, oh my God, we're like Rick and Cliff. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's a lot of ways. similarities. <laughs> it was. Uh, if I was your stuntman, it would be exactly. <laughs> be exactly. I'm kind of your stuntman on this podcast, <laughs> yeah. I suppose. A little bit in a way of thinking, yeah. So Rick drunkenly laments about his career that it hasn't taken off the way that he wants. Um, now, he doesn't do that to... It happens at the start of the movie, kind of. It does. Yeah. It does, which you go into with Pacino, but... Uh, it does kind of happen as well with the little girl. What an amazing performance yeah, by her. Julia by Butters. Way. Yeah, um, that whole scene was amazing. And, you know, he talks about being washed up. In this part, he wants to move over to be in Italy to star in spaghetti westerns like Clint Eastwood. Now, it's you're kind of on the right track here because he's only getting small roles at this point, which you do say. Yep. Uh, and it's Pacino that's sort of yeah, telling Martin him Schwarz. Yeah. He's saying, you know, you've got you to- You need to do that. But unlike how I thought, I thought it would be something that Cliff would really want to do, but it's actually the opposite in the Really. No, he yeah. really doesn't want to. He do doesn't it. want to do it, but he does do it eventually. And what a great scene that is, where he's telling him yeah. to, "You'll go down." Yeah, how he's telling him like, "You'll oh, go down, down goes your career." Yeah, Love you it. you always play a bad guy in all your roles. You always get beaten, and so eventually you just yeah, that's going to be the rest of your career. It's like the pro wrestling rule: you can't get beat too much. You lose yeah, your. Yeah, that's stock. right. That's right. Well, that's something that I think it's Dwayne The Rock Johnson and Vin Diesel actually have in their contracts. They can't be beaten up in movies and they can't lose a fight, essentially. We'll discuss that more in a couple of weeks. Someone should tell Vin Diesel as well to uh, also stay off Instagram because I think that's... (laughs) <laughs> That's making his career down, Less yes. of a tough guy. So we'll rejoin the Manson family who are working on... You go into this whole thing about them trying to convince a record producer, which does happen in real life, yeah. uh, to Terry get started as a band. So this is the Manson family, right? Yeah, this is the Manson and family. Charles Manson with Terry Melcher, who they did have a relationship in real life and they did make a documentary. Well, they started making a documentary together and I sort of went yeah. into that, but of course, none of that happens None in the of movie. that happens. The closest thing we get is... Charles Manson turns up to Sharon Tate's house looking for Terry Melcher. Yeah, yeah. So this doesn't happen. And you also say that 
while Rick and Cliff are filming the Western, they're actually brought to this ranch. The Spahn Ranch, yeah. Spahn Ranch, which there's a fight scene between Cliff, Cliff and, and Tex. Tex yeah. And that discourages uh, Terry Melcher to not sign with the Manson family because yeah, right. they're all crazy. But I think you also which said is a real life thing, by the that way. he was already on the fence because they're kind of a yeah, little the music bit sucked. and their music sucked. So it doesn't happen, but there is a fight scene between yes, on the Cliff Spahn Ranch and not quite Tex, but another, yeah, another, another guy. hippie. Now, I know you kind of drew that from real life because yeah, that's, that's right. what happens. And I think the movie set that up. Yeah, that's right. That's happened. So in real life, there was a stuntman who came to visit George Spahn on the ranch mm. and he was actually murdered by the guy in the movie who yeah. pops his tires with the knife. Yeah. So in the movie, it really looked like they were going to go in that direction and Cliff was going to be murdered and buried out in the middle of the desert and never found. But yeah. of course, Cliff being Cliff, he's able to turn the tables easily on the Manson family. And that's actually the first indication in the movie. I thought it was very clever. In retrospect, that's actually the first indication that history is going to be different in this circumstance. Yes. Um, also, I wanted to give you like another cheeky half a point because there is a scene where Tex and Cliff are talking to each other. Yep. And in your words, you say there's a conflict or there's a confrontation, which yep. there is. It just doesn't end up in a fight. Well, actually, they do fight at the end of the movie, if you think about it. Technically. Yeah. And he Technically, they kicks do. his ass. Technically, they Well, do. the dog kicks um, his ass. Also, something I spoke about and something you spoke about was the whole idea of Helter Skelter, which is never really addressed at all. No. Um, it's not. That's something that happened in the world of the world, I guess, but never takes place or mention gets mentioned in the movie. So at this point in the movie, Rick will actually go to Italy, which he does. Yes, of and course. And he will be cast in this cheesy spaghetti western, which he is. He's in and two. He believes that he doesn't need Cliff to make it in the business. Not quite, but that does happen later. Yep. Because he's talented enough to go on without him. Now, he does say goodbye to Cliff, but that happens a little later on. Yeah, it's after they get back from Italy. You thought there would be this cute little moment with um, them trying to say buongiorno. It doesn't happen, unfortunately. No. That's one of your inglorious bastards. Yes. References. References there. You said that Rick will struggle working in a non-English speaking movie with a non-English speaking director. And he will hate how low budget this movie is and how cheesy it is. And it doesn't have a good experience, which is exactly right. That's exactly what Yeah, happens. I couldn't believe that was in the movie exactly now you said he's going to be injured doing his own stunts that doesn't really happen no. i think you pulled off uh good old tuco there but yes i did yeah that doesn't happen but everything else that you said does and i didn't pull off good old tuco i got the idea from what happened to tuco <laughs> on the uh, good the bad and the ugly set that's right so after the whole incident with Melcher happens in your plot, uh, Charles Manson will instant initiate the Helter Skelter plan and he'll send his cronies to Sharon Tate's house where Roman Polanski lives. Now, again, they never really say this is the plan. We never see Charles Manson yeah. at all. He's just you a just figure see them turn up. in the background. So the whole idea with the actual movie itself, I thought they'd explain all of this a lot more in the movie for people who weren't familiar, but you very much need to know this stuff going into yeah. the movie to be able to follow it. Because if you're not familiar with the Manson family murders or even really Hollywood at that point... You're not going to know anything about this actually no. watching the movie. You're going to be completely lost. Well, they kind of take that away. They kind of, it almost seems like these guys are just driving around and they come to Roman Polanski's house and they're like, hey, here's a good idea. Let's just kill the man. The man being yeah. Rick Dalton. Let's kill a Hollywood star. So if you're watching it without context, you could probably think that. It just seems like a bunch of drug addled. Well, yeah, know but we know they're from the ranch are. though. So, But yeah, so you're right on this stage. They're, they're at the house. They're having a party as in Sharon Tate and Jay are having a party, which right. is what's happening. So congratulations. Tex comes into Rick's house. Yep. This is in the actual movie. Mistake. I also want to give you credit for figuring out that they're neighbors, which yes. I didn't figure out. Yes. Just thought it was all random. Thought they were in love. <laughs> That's how I drew them together. Yes. 
And you also mentioned that Tex will burst in and utter his famous line, I am the devil, I'm here to do the devil's work. Yeah, I thought this would be in Sharon Tate's which, house. Which but doesn't have the same gravitas as it does in, in lore and in real life. It kind of gets mocked by Cliff. Yes, that's right. But yes, it does happen. It does happen, yeah, in a different house though. So in your plot, the brutal murders happen here and Sharon yeah. Tate does get killed. A pregnant Sharon yeah, Tate does it, it get happens killed. as per history in my mm. plot, essentially. And it'll be a scene set up for shock value. Now, there is a brutal murder, we discussed it, but... They actually... And it is done for shock value. Su- they actually survive. Sharon Tate and the other, you know, like the Folgers, Coffee Heiress and all that. Mm-hmm. So Jay Sebring all survive. So I'm giving you a point. I'm giving you two points for having the devil's work line. I'm giving you half a point for... I'm giving you two points for the brutal deaths and half a point because uh, it's close to that, but yeah. they actually do survive. Rick is convinced, this is flashing to Rick's life, that he's going to be the next Clint Eastwood and that his movie is going to be released in U- uh, US and he's going to be become famous again. But he's disappointed to realize that he's dubbed over yeah. in the final film now we joked that it would be Samuel L. Jackson yes. that would be a shame that, it, that they missed that opportunity but the movie is Kurt Russell I thought critically panned um, I give you two points because the movie did suck but you know he did get famous through it you know yeah. well it's not said that the movie sucks we're just shown that they're cheesy yeah. and probably wouldn't hold up today but and he wasn't having a good time yeah, that's right. So here's where we go to your end. So the brutal murders happened and the end of the movie will have a twist in history where all our good guys, our Cliff and our Rick and our celebrities that we see yeah, peppered met along the way, the movie decide that they're going to avenge Sharon Tate's death and go into the Spahn Ranch and kill the Manson family in an epic shootout. I love visualizing this. Yes. I thought that was really cool. Um, the whole reason I had this idea was because of that one shot from the trailer where you see Cliff in the back of a truck on like farmland, yeah. shooting with a shotgun. That was where I had that whole idea, yeah. and I'm sure that's where you got it too. Well, we... But it turned out that there was actually footage from his FBI episode <laughs> that he did in the movie. Which was great. But yeah, we we kind of, I guess we took inspiration from the same spot because we both have this scene in our, yeah. in our movies, in our plots. There's an epic shootout. You said maybe Cliff will carve the famous swath sticker into Manson's head. I thought that yep. was a cute little... That would be awesome, uh, but yeah. ...moment there. Because he never actually happened. had a swatch sticker carved into his head, but he did it himself, of he, course. Yeah, because yeah, he's crazy. And a neo-Nazi. And you predicted that if any of the heroes die, it will be Rick. Uh, Rick doesn't die no. there, but there is the celebrities or the good guys do fight back in a manner of speaking. Yeah. Um, and lastly, I told you this uh, outside of the show, but I really liked what you did here, where you said the ending uh, after everyone survives the shootout, the film will end with an interview by... Alan Kincaid again. Yep, who interviewed who, Rick and Cliff at the start of the yeah, movie. Who's interviewing Charles Manson and we get a typical Charles Manson interview, which is just him talking crazy. And it'll be like the next We'll wave see it of, as the dawn of the next step in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we spoke about it being like the heroes of the world aren't the actors as they should be. It's now yeah, the, re- the reality TV star yeah. and the and horror movies take the main stage yeah. in, in cinema at that point. Which, of course, didn't happen, but... No, not I, in the actual movie, no. I kind of liked that. I like that book It's a nice I just wanted to give you some props there because I enjoyed it. That's me writing a little bit better than Tarantino. And um, i got to say, <laughs> just, say just on myself. a personal note, I, I liked a few of the things you did in, the, in your plot. I thought it worked really well. Of course, you know how I feel about the overall movie, so... Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Uh, I enjoyed so that's it. saying a lot. So thank you. I enjoyed you. it. So, what did you get though? Yes, I don't want to tell you. No, you're embarrassed now because <laughs> I'm angry because I feel like I was more generous with you. Ooh. All right, because what did I get? Twenty. <laughs> well, you got twenty three and a half points. All right. So if you doubled that, <laughs> this still would not be your score. Holy shit! There we go. Because wow. you, you piece of shit, got because <laughs> I'm such a nice guy. I guess, yeah, because you were being so generous. You got 66 and a half. Holy shit. I don't think I've ever got anything that high before in my life. Yeah, don't talk to me. (laughs) Wow. 
Well, I feel bad now. <laughs> yeah, you should feel bad. I feel bad, but you know, I was being realistic. Maybe you weren't being as realistic. But though, <laughs> listening back to my plot, I was actually shocked at how many things I actually got there close was, to the movie. There was a few details, albeit out of order, that you got right. Yeah. Um, and the but it was the same in your plot. Very, very close. So look at us. This is something we never thought we'd predict in no. a million years. No. Our plots speak for themselves. You did a really good job, but doesn't take anything away from the movie because the movie was amazing. Yeah, we should talk about that right now. Uh, let's completely wash over that complete landslide of victory that I achieved there. You, but uh, I don't think you'll. I don't think anybody on this show will ever get that high of a mark yeah, again. Yeah, I, I don't not. know. When I counted it all up, I was like, it makes 66 up, and a half. It makes up for John Wick Parabellum. <laughs> I think I'm just scarred from that moment. I'm just like, oh, I better give Kieran more points. Yeah, because like that now, the well, verbal tongue lashing I gave you well, in that episode. Well deserved. Well deserved. Yeah. So let's talk about the movie itself briefly. Yes. Now, now we mentioned it earlier in the show. We obviously had certain expectations going into this movie, and I'm sure audiences had similar, if not completely different, expectations going into the movie as well. And as we heard just then at the end of you discussing my plot, obviously I thought there was going to be more symbolism about Hollywood than we actually got in the movie. And I thought, you know, we were going to hew closer to history in a lot of ways. But were you disappointed at all by anything in the movie? Like, obviously we know from discussing our plots what we were expecting from the movie, and we clearly didn't get exactly what we were expecting. We were along the same lines, which is probably why we ended up enjoying the movie so much. Yeah. But we didn't get it exactly right, and we clearly weren't exactly on the same page as Tarantino, which we would never would no. be. Tell you what I found. I found that we kind of went further than what yes, the movie did. Yes, that's right. Which I was surprised at. I was surprised that... Because I guess if you're going in there as just a regular audience member, you're going to be shocked at the direction they took. Yes, that's because right. Because we... they didn't advertise anything no. about that in the actual trailers. But because we kind of ha- thought that may happen or you know considered it, we took it like that extra five extra yeah, steps. that's right. So, and that's why I went to such great pains to explain everything about the Manson family and what was going on in Hollywood at that point. Because mm. which doesn't Tarantino really didn't, as we've discussed already. Yeah, well, I think I think a lot of this movie was because there's a lot of uh, golden age Hollywood stuff as well that yeah, never right. gets explained. So I think the movie exists for the people that know the history. Yeah, that's but right. you can also watch it without knowing that and just get a nice Tarantino movie. But if you know the history, then there's an extra yeah. layer there. Well, a lot of casual fans of Tarantino who went into the movie expecting Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Went in expecting Kill Bill. Inglorious Bastards. Yeah, Django Unchained. Uh, Django Unchained. We're very disappointed by this movie. I was hearing a lot of rumblings all around the internet and amongst the the standard man on the street that they were like, this really isn't like a standard Tarantino movie. Uh-huh. This really isn't what I wanted. It's terrible. It sucks. It's one of the worst Tarantino movies I've ever seen. Just because they have no context for anything. And it really isn't, you know, similar to Reservoir Dogs. It isn't really similar to Pulp Fiction. It's yeah. very much its own thing. But because I suppose we knew a lot about the history of both Hollywood and the Manson family, well, me more so with the Manson family <laughs> than you, I guess we got the context and we got what he was trying to say and therefore it really spoke to us. Uh, I'd be interested in hearing as well what our general audience thought of the movie. Yeah. If you hated the movie, what was it that you really didn't like about it? Or if you loved the movie, what was it that really spoke to you? Mm. I'd like to see more Margot Robbie, but... Yeah? yeah? Yeah, I think everybody in the world was surprised at how little Margot Robbie appeared in the movie, but it very much wasn't Sharon Tate's story. It wasn't her movie. It was very much a Rick and Cliff movie, which I think I prefer. Yeah. I much prefer spending time with Rick and Cliff than anybody else in the movie. Yeah. We spoke about in the episode how much we, and I think it's obvious by this stage, how much we love movies. Yeah, that's so right. So this movie really was for us in a lot yeah. of ways. It's a love letter to cinema. And, yeah, that's uh, right. And and I really enjoyed it when I watched it. And it's a time that we'd never be able to live in. So for that two hours and 45 minutes, we got to live in that world that was only, you know, talked about before. <laughs> 
We got to live in it for a brief yeah, period. Because I haven't made very it much into Hollywood experience. yet. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, I'm talking about the golden age of, of, of Hollywood. Of course. And classic Los Angeles from the late 60s. So, yes, please tell us your thoughts. Was there anything in our summations of our original plots that we uh, were too generous on, not generous enough? You can let us know anything, anything that pops into your head. Just send us an email at potentialspoilerspod <laughs> at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all of those places. Or you can just leave us a comment on this episode's page on the Podbean site. Tell us any thought that pops into your head. Yeah. Like I said, I don't want to hear people's general reviews of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I want to hear someone who didn't enjoy the movie and what it was about the movie that they didn't enjoy. What were you expecting versus what you actually See, got? I, I don't think I would be like, I don't think I would be like, why didn't you like this movie? Because I could totally see people not enjoying it as much yeah. as me. But again, I think he made this movie for a, a very small demographic of people. I yeah, think. that's right. It's we very just, niche. We just happened to slide in there a little bit. Yeah. But yeah t- let us know what you think. Let us know what you thought of the soundtrack and the performance. I yes, thought they were really right. good. Oh, I just thought of something I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Where would you rank this in your overall Tarantino favorites or just in your overall Tarantino universe, I suppose? Yeah, Mental sure. universe. So it's funny because once upon a time, I would have said Pulp Fiction is my favorite, but that's gone down yeah, um, in a state. quite significantly. Not because it's bad, but because others have been so good. So yeah. I think for me, when I watched this movie, I said this is number one. Really? Um, now, I think I like Inglorious Bastards a bit better now that I reflect. So I think- yep. Inglori- What about Django Unchained? Inglori- you used to say that was your favorite. Yeah, Inglorious Bastards, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and uh, Django in that order. Are they all? Oh, okay. So that's your one, two, three. Yeah, that's right. There you go. How about you? For me, I really enjoyed Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I really, really enjoyed it. I, I think that's obvious from this episode and the number of times that I've watched it since it's come out. But. For me, I actually put it on par with Jackie Brown. I think it's on the same level as Jackie Brown. You and Jackie Brown. Which for Stop me, trying to convince people. Which for <laughs> how me, good Jackie Brown is. It's like you're defending. It's like a, a mid-tier Tarantino movie. Right. Like, okay. It's not one of his best, but it's certainly worth watching. So for me, I put Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown all on the same level. Can I just say something really quickly? Tarantino yeah. wasn't in this movie. Yeah, he wasn't. <laughs> we both predicted that he would be, but he certainly wasn't. He didn't even have any sort of cameo. None. Nothing that we noticed anyway. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so. I think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood fits in there with those what I would consider mid-tier movies and then you've got the golden tier for me which is your Inglorious Bastards and Django Unchained Kill Bill Volume 2 No and then you've got your bottom tier which where I put everything else Okay I definitely enjoyed the movie but not as much as some of his other recent works Let us know at home Definitely more than Hateful Eight (laughs) Yeah I like this a bit more than Hateful Eight as well There we go Yeah and yeah Everyone should uh, send us your rankings as well. It was well. definitely my send favorite. Us a tier list. It was my favorite movie of 2019. Yes, I can definitely say that safely as well. But we should do a whole episode on what we thought of 2019 in general <laughs> once we've finished covering all the movies from that year, yeah. which could be sometime next year by the time we get to it. <laughs> Who cares? We've got a million things to talk about. And we should talk about right now what we're going to be talking about next week. We were planning to talk about another movie, which we'll probably end up discussing in the future anyway, a superhero movie, believe it or not. But because it's not coming out for another six months, we the thought- st- Story of this podcast. We thought it's not worth devoting time and energy to something we're just going to forget about in half a year's time. So why not start covering movies that are actually coming out? Something that I promised really early in the show, this is something I said on Facebook rather than in an episode itself, was that we'd never do VOD movies. We're never going to do movies that come out video on demand or Netflix or anything like that. We're just going to do movies that go to the cinemas because we want to encourage people to go to the cinemas and have a good time. But since there's no cinemas... Yes, that's right. And since Hollywood has still stopped production, we're not getting any new trailers for anything. But the VOD market is booming, so we might as well go over to there. Yep, it's finally happening. We're breaking the rules of our own show. Well, we've already done Scoob, 
and Bill and Ted well, is going to come out on that VOD. Was yeah, come, that's right. So technically, we've already done it, so we might as well continue doing it. So next week, we're going to do a movie that's very much in our wheelhouse because it's being produced by <laughs> Jordan Peele of all people, I believe, and it's a movie called Antebellum. Do we know much about it? I don't think so. Not really, no. But next week, we're going to try and predict everything that will happen in the movie together, right, Kieran? Yeah, we're going to team up and predict what we think is going to happen as a duo. So join us next week for that. If you have any ideas of what you think is going to happen in Antebellum, good luck. Looks very confusing to me. Thanks for joining us for this week. And cut! Do you feel blame? Are you mad? Uh, do you feel like wolves go out for friends? Get friends, but 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 good. Be a remix. Get 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 good good. Be a big girl for double fucking ready to work a bugger. Don't do anything illegal. Beware of the eagle. It's got you by the neck. Don't do anything you shouldn't.